0: So with God's help I'm going to be teaching a Hebrew class and what I thought I'd like to do is first open the class with each time discussing a different Hebrew letter and this would be an abridged very quick summary of very deep beautiful ideas from Rav Cook and the Sefer Ray that thank God I was so fortunate to see a series of classes from Rav Yoel Rosenfeld on his YouTube channel beautifully describing this extremely difficult text. I would just be gleaning very quick points from that book and from those lessons that are a very helpful companion to the book. And also I plan on Blee Netter buying Safer from Rav Yatak Ginsberg Schlita um, On the Letters, a famous book much longer much more information and in that safer um, after describing like say the Aleph the next time the Bet the plan would be that each student should have a copy of the adult Hebrew primer to learn the grammar and we'd spend the most time simply just moving through the Chumash just I think that's really just the best way because The Chumash, the the five books of Moses, it's very simple. Lots of just direct subjects and direct objects doing things. Not a lot of philosophical language or speaking in hypotheticals, just pretty straightforward. And it's nice, like the the Torah is wonderful, it's so exciting. What I think I want to do though, just as a fun scavenger hunt sort of thing, is when going through especially in the first Parsha, the creation, noticing every time it says the word et. So et is in Hebrew this word that's mysterious that sort of serves as a indication like an arrow saying this subject, this actor, is having a direct relationship with something acted upon. So for example in the first verse, bara Elohim et In the beginning, Hashem created the heavens and the earth. So Hashem is directly, so to speak, acting towards and creating these heavens and these earth, and this earth. So that's that. I wanted to ask students to try to notice any patterns. When does the word et? When is it used to describe? An actor acting upon an object, and when is it not used? And just as a spoiler alert, that popular phrase today, so there's a tradition that there were rabbis, like Rabbi Akiva, for example, I'm almost positive, who spent a lot of time darshaning these le- these words et. They like learned really fascinating things from them. For example, there's a verse, et Hashem. Uh, like something like the no, sorry, that you should fear or respect your God and you should cling to Him. And the Midrash says, how can you cling to Him? Behold, He's a burning fire. And Rabbi Kiva says, no, it says, that you should fear Hashem, but it says it with the word et, and then it says avotid Bach, and so you should cleave to him. So because there's the word et, Olive Tough, that word. So it's coming to tell you that, oh, you cling to Hashem by clinging to Talmidei Chachamim, by clinging to sages, by clinging to people who love the Torah. So there's an example of et, which is Darshan to bring out another meaning, which is interpreted according to tradition to bring out another meaning. Another, two other deep examples that come to mind is in that first verse of the Torah, Bereishit Bara Elohim Et the et Aretz. It's brought in mainstream Midrash that this is telling you that the heavens and the earth were created with Et, which is Aleph through Tuf, which spans the Hebrew alphabet to say that mysteriously, mystically, the Hebrew letters themselves are the ultimate agents and building blocks of creation. Just as in speech, in language, letters are like these building blocks which can be used and rearranged to build all sorts of meanings. Like for example, and this is a famous thing, like you can take the same three letters to build opposite meanings specifically like the Sefer Yetzirah says, and the Sefer Yetzirah is a the oldest mystical text, which describes how Hashem creates the universe through letters. Says Ain Oneg, Ain Nega. There's nothing higher than Oneg, pleasure, Nun Gimel, and there's nothing lower than abject pain and suffering, Nega Nun Gimel ayin. These are the same letters, just rearranged to show you that these letters are malleable. You can permute them to build specifically very different meanings and s- often specifically opposite meanings. So again, this verse, Barashid Barah Elohim um, the Eit is telling you that Hashem created the world with the Hebrew alphabet. Um, finally, this one's from the Zohar, I really like this. It says that Vayigarech et min hagan that on the simple reading of the verse, it says the man was kicked out of the garden, but the Zohar says don't say it that way. Rather says, et ha'adam min hagan. That man kicked out, divorced, sent away et from the garden. He kicked away the Et. He kicked away the Aleph through tough. He kicked away all the Hebrew letters from the garden away from himself. He didn't go anywhere. It's a brilliant point. So brilliant. He didn't go anywhere. Rather, he threw God away from him. It says that man divorced the Shechina, the divine presence, encapsulated by the idea of all the holy Hebrew letters, which in their form, and their energy, mystically would have filled in his space in the garden to make it holy. He kicked that away from himself. And there's a midrash that... There's like a more mainstream midrash, I guess you might say, which is very famous in Chabad communities that I read all the time, that it says that in seven generations from Adam till Abraham, even though there were ten, but there were seven major sins that, so to speak, ejected the Shekhinah, seven levels of heavens away from the world, but then seven holy tzaddikim drew it back down into the world from Abraham through Isaac through Jacob all the way through Moses there were these seven shepherds and in Chabad they emphasize that there were seven Chabad Rebbes that similarly in their way absolutely did bring the Shekhinah even closer to us through their holy work but again you see this there's fascinating lessons to be drawn just from the simple word et, which looked like a boring grammatical feature, but now all of a sudden becomes this major tool to unlock deeper meanings in the Torah itself. Um, Besides all those ideas, though, I'd say, again, this is a spoiler alert, but I think that a basic pattern, and this is just me, okay? I've never heard this. I want to get it checked out, but it makes sense that at least in creation when the Torah is saying the word et, when it's talking about an actor acting on an object or Hashem creating something and the word et is used in the verse, I'm almost positive that there we're talking about a fixed reality, that in this act of creation... The thing became fixed as it is forever in its root. Why? Because if et if aleph-tav represents the span of the Hebrew letters, which is the idea of language and words, it would mean that this speech act was fixed in speech. It was inscribed. It was written somewhere in the holy archives of heavenly existence. It was it was written down as. A fixed root of something. But anything in creation that doesn't have this et, and it really works, If you, I think, if you look through the verses, these represent things that Hashem created, but which are still, so to speak, being articulated. Like, whereas the items which are the holy upper roots, which have the word et in their verse of their creation, <coughs> would be like fixed, solid roots... that the verse says, Hashem b'ashamayim. behold, Hashem, your word stands firm always in the heavens. These would be like the unbreakable, immalleable codes, like the mainframe programs which are driving and creating all particular experiences. Those are locked in. They are they have been articulated, they remain articulated in their root. Like, so to speak, The divine program of Hebrew letters, which runs the program called humanity, that's fixed. Um, But particular people, they're still being articulated. So it it works a, a little bit when you look at what's used as at in a creation versus not. Two other fascinating things that are related. Then I want to just say a quick thing on the Aleph and the Bet. And call it a day. There's also fascinating things to talk about, not just the word et, but also a similar word oto. And the reason I was even looking at this is because I was thinking about the Hebrew letters and I was thinking, how does the Torah talk about the Hebrew letters? So, as we said, Torah hints already to the idea of the Hebrew letters in the first verse, to say, that with in the beginning, or as commentated by the Targum Onkelos, with wisdom, God created the heavens and the earth, and as we said, using the 22 Hebrew letters of Aleph through Tav. So in that first verse of the Torah, you already have the Torah discussing the centrality of Hebrew letters, albeit in veiled, hinted form. But also I think it's very significant when the, wo- when the Torah uses the word oat itself, not et, but oat, which really more directly means letter. So, I was looking and the first time you see the word "oat," kind of, is is uh, beautifully in the creation of man, in the verse, Elohim at Adam Elohim bara oto, That God created man in His image, in the image of God made He him. That God made him. So when it says, and that's a fascinating verse in of itself, why does it repeat itself? Why does it repeat itself in like a palindrome form? That God created, and God created man as image, and the image of God, he created him, meaning man. Why is it like say it twice, and why is it sort of say it backwards and forwards, in like a mirror image palindrome? Lots to say on that. But I was thinking, so like, why is man... Why is he to get to be the one to be hinted to in his creation and his essence, even more explicitly with the, with the idea of letters? So I think there's one obvious answer, which is man speaks. That's his special quality. He speaks, so he uses letters. So there could be more things to think about. And the second time... Oh, and by the way, as, as we know... So what does it mean the Oto? There's a deep thing to say about that. So the Oto is Aleph, tough Vav. So it would be the idea of all the Hebrew letters Aleph or tough, but with a Vav at the end, as we know, the Vav is the drawing down. As Rabbi Ingram taught us over Shabbos this past week in Parshat, the Chukotai, that you have the original point Yud, but the Vav is just a Yud drawn down. It's a seed-like possibility that's drawn down into dimensions, into six dimensions in space, front, back, left, right, up, down, etc. So man would be the one to draw down letters, to draw down the holy Hebrew energies of the Hebrew letters. He'd be the one drawing them down. The second time it says Oto, beautifully, is by Shavas In the verse... Elohim at Yomashvi, vayikadesh oto, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Vayikadesh oto is again that word for letter ot. with the vav, so to make it oto, which again something to do with Shabbos as a time of tremendous bliss relaxation spiritual connection where we can draw down the holy hebrew letters into our hearts um there's two more fascinating things i want to say on this here's a quiz question i I gotta double check i i checked it two or three times i'll check it one more time this is amazing when is the first time the torah says the word atah which means you. Like someone is speaking to someone else and says, you, I see you. You did this. I want to give this to you. The word is ata. Extremely basic word. We all know it. We all say Baruch atah Ado, Shem right? Praise are you, God. So ata. There's a bunch to say on why the word you, ata is also in this pattern of aleph, tough, but this time with a hey at the end can't explain it now. God willing, we will. But when's the first time, I love this so much, when's the first time that we see the word Atah, that we see the word you in the Torah? It's after Adam sins and eats from the tree of knowledge and he's hiding with his wife, Chava, and Hashem turns to him and says, where are you? And he says, I was hiding from you because I'm naked. And God says, who told you you were naked. Who told you, you were naked? This is the first time you see the word you. This, makes, this gives me goosebumps. I'm ha- I have goosebumps right now. I think it's so amazing. I think it's so brilliant. These are, these are treasures. These are gems that you have to catch, that you, that you can really see when you read the Torah in its original language. There is no concept of you or me. Between us and God, it would be the obvious thing to say, there is no concept of a you and a me until the sin. Tons to say on that. Obviously. Obviously. Um, so then finally, another point is, after Cain does his sin of killing his brother, Chas kills his brother, it says, Hashem gave him an oat, He gave him a letter, like he magically inscribed on Cain's forehead a letter. Don't know which letter, but it says or a sign, but it literally means the word for letter. Um, And I've seen at least one commentary. Rabbi Rosenfeld shared it on Facebook that this was called the Oat of Shabbos, the sign of Shabbos. That Shabbos is called an Oat. It's called a sign or the idea of like a letter or a sign inscribed. Um again we, we see Shabbos described as OT B'nai Ubina bin Israel. It's a letter or a sign between me and Israel. Like it's a sign. It's a it's like a indication, like that yes, God is here. He's like signed his signature. He signs his signature on us with his holy letters, with his divine name. On Shabbos. And through the Oat Greek Kodesh, the sign of the circumcision. This is also like a signature sealed into flesh. And finally, we talk about O Tot um Signs and wonders, like miracles, are described as these signs or these letters, these indications. So, lots to say on all that. Just a fun thing to to look at in detail. Just finally now, I want to say get started on the description, the mystical descriptions of the letters, um, based on the writings of Rob Cook. Again, with thanks so much to Rob Rosenfeld for explaining the book. So he says the Aleph. If you look at the shape of the Aleph, we we know this. It's famous. The aleph is two yuds with a vav connecting them. But there are fascinating things to say. There's a lot more to say on this. But just one quick idea on the shape of the aleph. So the top yud is on the right side of the letter. But then the vav that draws down to connect it to the bottom yud, it's in a diagonal And the diagonal begins on the left side. It draws back down and diagonal to the right side. And then the final lower yud is back on the left side. So go look at an olive. You'll see what I mean. So he says, what is this? So he says, what are the two yuds? So, (laughs) so good. The yud on the top represents the whole source of all existence. Like, yud is a special letter in and of itself. It's one singular dot but it has a numerical value of 10 which from 10 you can build all the numbers to say that from one point is flowing all existence so it's as he calls it the 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 storehouse the vault of all possibilities that's on the right side of the letter graphically on the page representing that this is a major force of kindness it's like the storehouse vault of all good blessings and this storehouse vault of all good blessings is going to be drawn down to give to its counterpart which is the lower yud at the bottom of the olive that lower yud is also a storehouse but it's like the opposite kind of storehouse it's the storehouse of all bounded reality like the vessel which is small and weak, like us, right? At the top you would be the root of reality, the roots of our souls, where they're one with God, chock full of all blessing, the lower you would be like our bodies, so to speak, this world, the containers of reality, the vessels, Those which try to contain of what they can from the upper yud. So he says, this is why the diagonal connecting them has to go from left, top left corner down to bottom right corner. That the yud on the right side, which is representing like the right hand is the strong hand, the giving hand, the active hand. It can't just give in a straight line to that yod at the bottom that's so weak on the left side the receiving side first it has to temper its own giving by shifting the beginning of the flow of giving back over to the left side at the top of the diagonal which as Ralph Cook says means that it's starting to break up and darken and diminish just the straight flow coming from that storehouse vault of all flows and blessings so as to so as to tear down and darken and temper the flow of existence coming from that top yud to the bottom yud in the shape of the olive. So that's why the flow has to begin at the extreme left side to create already at the beginning of the flow very intense boundaries so that what is coming out will be able to be handled by those weak receivers at the bottom. But then as the flow continues going down, it goes back down to the right side, that diagonal, to say that, hey, eventually what we're talking about is a flow from the upper world to the lower world which is a giving flow so when it gets closer and closer to the vessel that receives that lower yud so the flow is going back to the right side to say that hey you know basically and again i'm not saying this perfectly but basically at the end of the day this is a flow of giving okay that's the aleph a lot lot more to say but i want to sometimes too much is not good and then just one more thing on the letter bet bet is so fascinating it's the first letter of the torah and basically the w- way that rob cook describes it is the bet the word for bet is bite every letter really is a word itself so aleph means to learn right because aleph is how learning works the one who knows and the ultimate teacher is hashem He's like the top yud, And he's got to teach by paring down his lesson in the way described so that the lower yud, the student, the pupil, right? A pupil's like a little yud, can take it. So that's like, the word aleph means to learn. It means other things too. But then the... Uh, the bet bet is also the word for bait or bat daughter, but bite is a house. And the Rob Cook says that the bet, in that shape that it is, is the ultimate vessel, is the ultimate house, is the ultimate. Represents the ultimate contours of reality In its shape In its shape it, If the Aleph Is next to it on the right In the flow of the alphabet So in the Torah The first Aleph is really the invisible white parchment Okay, I can't get into all that But the Bet Looks like he's turning its back the olive but rob cook points out there's this tiny little space where like the roof of the bed, that top line meets the wall like that vertical line that's like blocking the olive out but there's this tiny little opening and he says there is where the huge light The huge blinding light of the olive, which is like the God letter, like the word for ale, the word for God, which means like God of power. There's a tiny little opening in that otherwise closed off house. And in that tiny little opening, all the radiating energy of the olive, is flowing through that tiny opening. And what happens is now as pure raw existence coming from the idea of the olive, that silent letter, which is so divine and transcendent, it like can't be expressed. It's silent without other letters, but it goes through this space and the idea of the bet, which mystically is called the Tzimtzum. It's called the way Hashem constricts and creates a vessel that's constricted so that his divine flow and message can come through a vessel and be heard. Like, the air is silent, right? Aleph in Hebrew begins the word for air, which is avir. Well, pure air is silent, just like the Aleph. It makes no sound. What, you ha- what do you have to do to hear sound? You have to put it through a constriction so that there can be like a, <clears throat> like a striking of all the sound waves which are silently in the air they should strike up against a constriction to make a noise to make a sound to say something and that's the bet that's the house of our world it's a brilliant fascinating image it's just one more point I thought about this I said well that's really interesting because two extremely fundamental and important character traits in Judaism are what we call emuna and Bittachan like loosely translated as faith or belief. And then, and that's Amunah, and then trust, Bitachon. So I was thinking, why should faith be, why should Amunah, why should belief or faith be connected to the Aleph? And Bitachon, the idea of security, be connected to the Bet. So first of all, how do we understand in English, what are the differences between these two? So I learned, and... It just basically means that emuna is like you believe in something beyond you that can come in and change your life. It comes also in Hebrew from the language of an uman, which means a craftsman or the apprentice to a craftsman. Which basically means when you're an apprentice, you know, you know, you believe that your teacher, right, which is also aleph, the aluf. I will teach you But when you're an apprentice When you're an Uman apprentice You believe that your teacher knows the stuff But you don't know that he knows the stuff Because you don't know it yet You're learning from him You wouldn't be learning from him If you didn't believe in him That he's got the knowledge That It's specifically knowledge that you don't have But you believe that it's going to enter your life And you'll have it too And that it's right That it's pure knowledge Like, why are we sitting here learning Torah? Because we believe it's true. We know we don't know it all. We know we'll never know it all. But but we believe it's coming from a true, pure source, a source of truth. And so we reach out beyond to learn from it. And that's our belief. So that we can be an apprentice, an apprentice craftsman, to craft our life from truth which is beyond us, which we believe it's true. But bitachon is specifically to feel secure and trust in one situation right now, that what is happening to me in my space, I'm going to be okay. And the real bitachon, the real trust, the real feeling of security is mystically rooted in that first letter of the Hebrew alphabet that starts the Torah, that sheet that says in the Midrash and the Zohar that Hashem created the world with a bet. And the Zohar explains, as explained by the Arizal and Sharma Marirashpi, that it's the ultimate vessel, which is the vessel that it contains all the other vessels, and it sets the boundary and the limit on all experiences flowing from that womb of that one bet, that one vessel, to say, nothing's gonna get out of control. All experiences are defined. By the way that they were laid down in that first bet. If somebody, God forbid, their house floods or something, it's still within the boundaries. It's still within the contours of God's plan. And that's called trust. And that's all for the best. More to say, but I mean.